Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I'm going to ask you to join me again in the book of James chapter 1. And uh, I want to encourage you in our study of James as we are making this journey to just read a little bit every day. You can read a chapter a day in just a, under five minutes and, uh, and it'll help you. Amen. It's healthy. It's very, very healthy. I'm thankful for the presence of the Lord, and I'm thankful for the word of the Lord. The book of James, chapter 1, and verse number 13 and 14. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And I'm going to visit a very familiar subject, but it still is applicable to all ages here this evening. Because when we think about temptation, we kind of sort of have it in a few little limited categories. But it is broad. It is ever-reaching. And uh, I want to just speak this evening from the thought of overcoming temptation. We're going to talk about it a little while and then we're going to talk about how to overcome it, take some steps that will help us to be an overcomer. Praise the Lord. So if it's not going away, we better figure out how to deal with it. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated and thank you for standing and I appreciate the last several moments that we've had here in praise and worship and thank you to our singers and musicians. Amen. You always usher us in to a wonderful presence of the Lord and I'm thankful for that. Kind of push back the dark clouds of the last few days and I appreciate that. For the first 12 verses of James that we've been talking about, we have been looking at various trials that we may encounter in life. And uh, those verses also deal with the solutions and how we overcome those seasons of testing in our in our own individual walk with God. Now, James turns his attention to the subject of temptation. And so this time we are, are not talking about an unexpected trial or event that may unfold in our lives without announcement. But James makes the transition now to to discussing temptations in the context of the invitation to sin. And there is always an invitation to sin. 
And so you can let your mind run to the deep, deep gutters of sin if you would like, wherever you want to allow your mind to run. But sin is everywhere present. There's always an opportunity to do wrong or an opportunity to do right. And, uh, and so all of us deal with those particular situations on an individual basis. And so we may ask, why is it that James connected the two and what is the, tempt- what is the relationship, rather, between trials and temptations? Perhaps, I think if we, and, and we will just look at a few Bible characters and a few Bible instances, and, and I think through that we can understand that if we're not careful that the trials of life can in and of themselves become temptations. And uh, when our circumstances are difficult, we might find ourselves complaining against the Lord. I know we always couch it within the brackets of, I know you're not supposed to ask why, but <laughs> but why? And, and if we're not careful, we can charge God foolishly. We may question his love or We could even resist his will for our lives for now or perhaps even in the future. And so at this point, the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, provides us with an exit ramp to escape some sort of difficulty and the opportunity is better known as temptation. He always places something well within our reach. It's very easy to touch that or very easy to bring that uh, into our life. There are many illustrations, I think, of this found in the, in the Scripture. The Bible talks about Abraham, and when they arrived in Canaan, and he discovered that there was a famine there. He was not able to care for his flocks, and so here was an opportunity. He could prove God, or he could be tempted to figure this out on his own. And so Abraham made the decision that oftentimes, or at least at, at least some point in our lives, we've all been guilty of making he, he turned that temptation, he turned that into a temptation and he went toward Egypt. God had to correct Abraham and, and bring him back to a place of obedience and in blessing. Also, when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, the nation, this nation of people often turned, often turned trials into temptations and tempted the Lord. They were only three days into their journey of their exodus delivery from Egypt when the water supply ran out. When they did get water, it was so bitter they couldn't drink it, and immediately they began to murmur and complain against God. It was an opportunity for God to prove himself or an opportunity for them to be tempted to charge God and or Moses, and in this case, they did. They turned their trial into a temptation and failed, and so... I truly believe that God does not want us to yield to temptation, but he wants to prove himself strong and to prove that he can establish our ways before him. And so if we're ever going to mature in the Lord, then we have to face temptations and learn how to overcome them. Amen. And I've said many times in teaching that we can't just keep asking forgiveness for things. At some point, we need to ask for deliverance for those things so that we can get beyond that and just kind of nail that down in our past. In the same fashion that we face trials and endure them, in his first letter to the church at Corinth, Paul makes it clear about this thing called temptation. He makes one thing very, very clear 
And I think this is something incredibly important for everybody to keep in mind. And that is according to 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, that temptation is common to man. Amen. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And so the very one of the very first things we feel is a is a sense of shame about the things that we may be tempted to do. And we feel like we're the only ones that has ever faced such a mountain or faced such a decision. But Paul wanted to clear it right up that whatever we face, somebody before us has already faced that. So no one, including the most spiritual among us, can escape this thing called temptation. Even the Lord in his humanity was tempted. According to what we read in the book of Matthew, he was tempted. One writer said, even though we are baptized into Christ, baptism does not drown the flesh. Amen. Adam still comes up. And we still have to deal with this Adamic nature. We have to deal with it. Just as it is common to man to be tempted, it's also common for man to blame someone or something else. It's amazing. We, we sort of really see this played out today before us, and perhaps that's because our world is so connected. But when something happens, we're always looking for, we as humanity are always looking for a nail to hang it on. We must blame someone else. I'm not certainly saying that we would absolve someone of, of any responsibility if there's negligence, but when somebody slips and falls, we're just trying to figure out whose fault it was. Amen. I've fallen on level ground before. <laughs> I've fallen when I was all by myself. And it's hard, to, it's hard to have a handy nail to hang those kind of things on. But we live in a society, but it's not new, of course, but we live in a society where we're always trying to blame someone or blame something else. And not only for uh, us being tempted, but it's, we also try to blame something for the reason that we succumb to that temptation. From the beginning, one of the chief characteristics of sin has always been to Pass the blame. And we'll point the finger at somebody else. Every parent here knows that our children were born with that skill. Amen. But they come by it honest. When God confronted Adam with his sin in the Garden of Eden, Adam's reply was this. He said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate it. And so before we go any further, Lord, I just want you to know it was her fault. Am I right? <laughs> and so I don't know how this played out, but the Lord just kind of steps, steps down in line in my mind and he says, okay, Eve, what, what about this? He's pointing the finger at you. And so what is this that you have done? That's what the scripture says. And then this is her reply. The servant deceived me and I ate. So it's not my fault, it's the serpent's fault. And so we just start hinging blame from one to the other to the other to the other. And so Eve blamed Satan, Adam blamed Eve, but in a way, and I don't want to try to read more into Scripture than, than is there, but I will leave you something to think about. In a way, Adam also blamed God because he said, the woman whom you gave to me, <laughs> if you had not added her to the mix, well, we wouldn't be in this mess. 
I'm, I'm just in the scripture now. I'm not out here in, in the index anywhere or in the maps. I'm right in the word of the Lord. It's that woman that you gave me. And so it is in us to just try to figure out somebody else to take the fall for this instead of taking a hard look in the mirror and saying, I've got to figure out how to overcome some things in my life. And so that's why James declares in the first half of verse 13, he said, let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God. So James just says, we're gonna just take care of this right now. He's saying that no one should say that God is responsible for the temptation of evil. Solomon said this in Proverbs 19 and three. He said, the foolishness of man perverteth his way and his heart fretteth against God. The first thing that James wants to state in dealing with temptation is this, is that God is in no way responsible for us being tempted or for any failure to overcome overcome temptation on our part. God is not responsible for the temptation, nor is he responsible for our inability to overcome it. He can't, you can't associate God with evil. Amen. So Adam didn't get away with it and we're certainly not going to get, get away with it. In the, in the next few verses, James gives us his strong proofs that God is not responsible for our temptation. He does this by explaining the nature of four things and it's the nature of evil, the nature of man, the nature of lust, and the nature of God. And so I want to take just a few moments this evening and talk about the nature of these four things. The nature of evil, in, in uh, James 1 and 13, he said, For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Cannot be tempted. Those are three very powerful words, cannot be tempted. That phrase in the, in the, in the original language carries the idea of being without the capacity for temptation. It is not within the capacity of the Lord to do that. In other words, the nature of evil makes it inherently foreign to God. You cannot connect God and evil. They are mutually exclusive. You, 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 in, in the most complete and profound sense, you cannot connect God and evil. And so he has no vulnerability to evil and, and is utterly secure against the onslaughts of evil. God and evil are, they are, they are just completely opposed to one another. They are two completely different things. He's aware of evil, certainly but he can't be touched by it. And that's the key truth that's echoed throughout scripture. It, amen. And it's not found in any other of the world's religions. You cannot find this separation. Our God is holy. Our God is undefiled. He cannot lie. Amen. He cannot lie. He cannot sin. This sets God exclusively apart. Our God away from every other God in the world. Other gods that men worship are not so virtuous. They are depicted as having supernatural power, but think about something with me. Without supernatural wisdom or without supernatural virtue, amen, you cannot connect those two. When men conceive gods to worship, what do they do? They create gods in their own image, in the image of man. Right? Amen. Therefore, they're created with their own weaknesses, their own fallacies, their own faults in order to remove the convictions from what's going on in their lives. You know, the scripture talks about people having itching ears. 
You know, it's very common for people that are in trouble to find somebody else in trouble to hang around with them because it just makes them feel better about their trouble. But it doesn't fix anything. But they just want to heap together. And so when you have people that create gods in their own image with their own weaknesses, it just makes them feel better about the insufficiencies of their own life. The one true God, however, stands apart from all other imitations. And that's why Isaiah, it's a profound passage of scripture in Isaiah 6 and 3. Isaiah stood in absolute wonder. He stood speechless. He stood in the splendor and the majesty of the power of God as the seraphims began to cry out, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah stood there in absolute silence at the majesty and the power and the holiness of God. I know we're all human and we've all, perhaps if we haven't uttered this, we have thought it at least in some form or fashion. You know, when I get to heaven, I sure want to sit down and ask the Lord about a few things. I doubt it. I just really doubt it. I just think that if Isaiah, I would think that Isaiah was probably living a little closer to the fire than I am. I'm just keeping it real with you tonight. And if Isaiah was speechless in the presence of God, I can only imagine how I am going to be. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He stood speechless in the presence of a holy God. Shortly after he insinuated the covenant, at the, it instituted rather the covenant at Mount Sinai. And the Lord commanded Moses to remind his people in the book of Leviticus, ye shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy. Here is this holy word again. Here is this holy idea again. The Lord repeats this command to the church through one Simon Peter when he said, ye shall be holy for I am holy. Amen, pure, holy, honest, amen, fully understanding that God has absolutely no vulnerability to evil, so much so that that the minor prophet, prophet Habakkuk records these words interestingly. I don't have them on the screen, but Habakkuk 1 and 13, the Bible says that God's eyes are too pure to behold evil that he could not look on wickedness with favor. That's how pure God is, that he cannot look on wickedness with favor. It's not that he chooses not to, he cannot do that. Hebrews 7 and 26 describes Jesus Christ as God manifested, who is God manifested in flesh as holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. James's first point is that the nature of evil is mutually exclusive from the nature of God. They are not even related. The reason that God himself tempts no one to sin is that God himself cannot be tempted to sin. Evil is completely contrary to the nature of God. Therefore, it's impossible for God to be the author of something that's contrary to his nature. Temptation uh, to sin finds its origin in Satan first, and then in Adam's free decision to disobey the Lord in, in the book of Genesis. 
the rebellion of both Adam and Lucifer occurred completely outside the influence of God. They did this of their own will. Now let's talk about the nature of man. James 1 and 14 says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Another evidence that God is not responsible for our temptation to sin is our own nature. It's that fallen spiritual disposition that makes us so susceptible to sin. The innocence of children are susceptible to sin. Amen. That is the nature of man. And I don't know how to boil it down any more plain than we see the nature of sin in the innocence of children. And I'm not being disrespectful or are trying to, to, to uh, upset the apple cart here tonight, but that's, you can't find a more clear definition of it. They are innocent in so many ways, and yet sin is so apparent in their lives, all of us. The Bible talks about every man and emphasizes this universal nature of temptation. And can I tell you tonight that no one is immune. You never reach some age, this certain special age, in life or age in serving God where all of a sudden you break through the clouds of temptation and it's forever and a day behind you. It's not so. No one is immune. Every individual is tempted when the, the Bible says when they are drawn away of their own lust and enticed. And so it is that own lust and our, that nature uh, that we all specifically possess that we must keep in check. You know, when you think about... <clears throat> I'm not a hunter or a fisherman, but I, I know a little bit about it. And I know that in order for them to be successfully lured into the trap, one certain bait or one certain lure or one certain thing does not, there's not just a one size fits all. Any fisherman, my granddaddy Boyd was a was quite an avid fisherman. And so in his tackle box, there were just a number of lures. And, and so whatever he was fishing for, that's the kind of bait that he used. And so you got to find something that's working. If today this is not working, you, you don't just say, well, let's just roll it up and let's just go home. You just, he just simply changed the lure. And so it, it is, the hunter has much the same instinct. If this is not working, let's just try something else. We've got to do whatever we got to do in order to make this successful. And so you've got to do something that appeals to the senses. And their desire for the bait is so intense that, that at some point it just causes a fish or an animal or whatever it is that you're after just to lose all inhibitions. Just kind of go for it. <laughs> just kind of go for it. And so the bait is to cause somebody to ignore the trap, just ignore the obvious. In exactly the same way, we succumb to temptation. When our own lust draws us toward evil things that are appealing to our flesh. Now, I think it's important to understand that the word lust refers, that's not a superficial word. It refers to some deep, strong desire or strong longing of any kind, good or bad. Because sin, let's just be very, very real, sin can look pleasurable and it generally is, at least for a season. Because if it wasn't, there would be no appeal. If you could see, I've often said that uh, that it's, it's not the billboard that you need to pay attention to. You need to go around behind the billboard 
because there's where you're going to find all the briars and the sand spurs. That's where you're going to find all the weeds. That's not what's being advertised. You know, I noticed online in the last several months, especially there have been some real candid advertisements against smoking, should be, obviously. And people are are talking about, I was just going to try it one time. I was just going to do it one time. And and, and they talk about their lives and what it costs. And I thought, finally, we've got some truth in advertisement. Somebody that's on the other side, of somebody standing behind the billboard that's trying to wave to those that's kind of caught up in the lights. The Bible talks about, don't look at wine when it's red and sparkling. Because <laughs> that's not really the real story. It's the only other side of that. That's where you'll find the real truth to this matter. And so sin is packaged, sin is packaged so clearly and, and, uh, and so nice. And it's not just sinful things. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but uh, from time to time I get John Deere uh, material that's sent in the mail, flyers and things of that nature. When they're advertising a new tractor or new piece of equipment, you find somebody out there standing and their jeans are just pressed and they're clean. And, and I mean, they're, they're, there's not only no grease on their hands today, it doesn't look like there's been grease on their hands in 10 years. just leaves the impression that you know these lush green hills that are being mowed down <laughs> I've just seen too many people at the end of the day when they've got those cheap beads around their neck you know dirt beads and all that they cough up dust for three days Nobody's showing that part of the story. Maybe I shouldn't have used John Deere in that. It's just a tractor advertisement. Nevertheless, sin is packaged so attractively. But the problem, you see, is not the tempter without, it's the traitor within. And it's not the tempter without, it's the traitor within. Jeremiah said this, and hear me tonight, he was talking about you. And he was talking about me when he penned these words. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah was firing a shot across the bow and saying, don't trust your heart. Don't trust your heart for a moment. Jesus said in Matthew 15 and 18, you can follow along these scriptures, Matthew 15 and 18, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile, a man, they defile the man. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. It's from the heart of a man. That's where it comes. Knowing that his apostles would be subject to temptation, to evil because of their flesh, Jesus also admonished in Matthew 24, or 26 and 41, he said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, the prayer of Jabez, as I've often mentioned, incorporates a few things. He asked the Lord to touch him. He asked the Lord to bless him. He asked the Lord to enlarge his coast. And those are all wonderful and those are easy to pray. But I want to tell you, I think the most significant portion of a four part, the four-part prayer of Jabez was his final request, and that is keep me from the evil of this world. <laughs> 
touch me, bless me, enlarge my coast, but before I sign off, build a fence around my heart and around my mind and help me overcome, keep me, preserve me, Amen, from the evil of this world. Oh, amen, what a powerful people are praying the prayer of Jabez just to try to get a few dollars in the bank or to, or to get a new car into the garage. But I want to tell you the most important thing we could pray is God, work on that fence around my heart and around my mind, that hedge, and help me to tend it and keep it. Oh, Lord, help me to be diligent in all of that. I must be diligent in all of that. And so even though you go to church and even though you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you still retain that enemy within, that that form of corrupt passions and lust because we still have our flesh to deal with. Even that which in itself is good and honorable can be lusted after for sinful reasons. For instance, food and sleep are wonderful things and they're not just niceties, but they are necessities. You've got to eat, you've got to sleep, or you will ultimately and eventually die. But when you become gluttonous and lazy, we've turned that now into something very evil. We have a serious problem on our hands. So while we're all vulnerable to the, the while we're all vulnerable to the sin that Scripture forbids, everybody, everybody has his or her own set of lust and desires. We all have our own demons to fight. Let me just be real plain. We all have our own battles. Things that bug you don't bug me and things that bug me don't bug you. We all have a race to run that is set before us. And so that's why we should never get caught up in a to-do and don't list from the pulpit. Amen. Just give me a little checklist of what things to avoid. No, no, it won't work that way. Amen. We need some principles that are set and established in our heart. And there are some things that I'm going to have to pray about until Jesus comes that may never even come across your lips. Amen. Because we're all fearfully and wonderfully and uniquely made. And we all have some things that we have to deal with. And I, I, I you know, I, I'm, uh, what one person's problem is is not another person's problem. One person has to guard against another person will not necessarily have to guard against. In other words, I seriously doubt that I will be ever tempted to spend too much money on a set of golf clubs. It could change. I know time could change. But I just doubt it. (laughs) But, But that doesn't make me holy. And that doesn't make me righteous. Because you see, that's not my deal. That's not a pit in front of me. Amen. Everybody's so comfortable when I'm talking about me. But it's amazing how the mood shifts. But I'll just leave that alone. Amen. It's our own lust. It's the things that we deal with. It's where our life gets real. And so whatever it is that we are vulnerable to, Amen. We all have certain weaknesses and each one of us are solely responsible to answer to God for the temptations of our own life because you see, sin is a very personal issue. And so that's why it's dangerous and I'm I'm sort of repeating myself, but that's why it's dangerous just to sit in church and listen for catchphrases from whoever's preaching and teaching us. Well, they didn't mention my deal, so I must be okay. No, 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 no. 
You see, sin is a personal issue and we can't blame God and we can't blame Satan and we can't blame our friends and we can't blame our circumstances because the Bible says everyone is tempted when they are drawn away of their own lust and enticed by their own desires. That's the root of the issue. Ultimately, it's our desire, our our own desire that gets us in trouble. It's what it's whatever our hiccup happens to be. Believe me, it doesn't matter how long you've been in church. Amen. We're just merely flesh and blood. And until the day the Lord takes the church out of this world, there is going to be a, a struggle with the desires of the flesh. Praise God. It's the truth. It is the absolute truth. And I'm not trying to sound catty at all, but if you don't think you have trouble with your flesh, just start a fast tomorrow. And just say, this is what we're going to do tomorrow. As a matter of fact, as we've learned through the years, you don't even have to start a total fast tomorrow. Just, <laughs> just start a progressive fast tomorrow. And you, and, and you may not complain tomorrow, but after a while, your flesh is going to start crying out of the things that it craves. James carries this on for the next few verses and goes in depth to the process that takes place when you're drawn out in the ties of sin. But I want to focus just a few more moments on the imagery that James has used in this verse. He talks about the snare and the trap and the enticement of sin. And, and so what James is saying here is that the enemy of our soul operates with traps and lures. See, Satan watches us. I heard a preacher say recently that Satan can't watch your mind, but he can watch your actions. Amen. He watches, he watches us and he plots a way to draw us out and trap us. He understands what James is telling us. Simply put, every man, woman, boy, and girl has a fleshly desire and is capable of causing us to lose all restraint in some area. Have, we, have anybody here just, just overextended ourselves in any area and, and then thought, man. Just one more I'll just use a pretty generic thing to make everybody feel a little better. But just one more spoon of this, one more slice of pie. And then we go, man, why did I do that? Why did I do that? <laughs> why did I do that? Amen. So whether it's pie or not, Satan crafts a temptation with our name on it. He just puts it right there. He puts together the perfect storm the perfect opportunity. And that's exactly what James is warned about in this passage. And so we've got to be aware of our own weakness. Now, I'm not at all trying to cultivate a spirit of suspicion this evening, but because there is a sure defense against the wiles of the enemy. I'm not trying to say everybody here is dirty and wicked, but I am saying everybody here is flesh. And don't ever forget that. We'll read more about this in chapter 4 and talk a little bit more about it in chapter 4. But victory over temptation is bound up in two things. I'm going to jump to, to James 4 and 7 for just a, few, just a few minutes and make one point. But victory over temptation really and ultimately is bound up in two things. James 4 and 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so temp, overcoming temptation is capsulized in two things and that is Submission and resistance. 
We must first submit ourselves to God. First submit ourselves to God and then resist the devil. And some people get that backwards or just completely omit the first part altogether and just say, I got the Holy Ghost and I can just resist the devil. Not without submission, you can't. We must be fully submitted to the Lord. The battle against sin in our life is fought and won in our mind. In our mind. That's why it's so important to arrest, to bring into captivity every thought, to arrest thoughts. Don't let, we can't help what we think. We can't help a thought that crosses our mind but we can help what we allow to camp out in our mind. Amen. So we must be very, very careful not to focus on some things. Some things need to be rebuked immediately, instantly. Amen. Right now. Amen. And and then we need to start establishing some things in our lives that will help us guard against those things. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Paul said to the Philippian church, and I'm coming in for a landing if that helps, but Philippians 4 and 8, he said, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Yesterday, I spent about probably very close to seven hours on the road altogether. And so I just took my phone, I plugged it in to some podcasts that I uh, have as some of my favorites. And for the better part of seven hours, I listened to preaching. I'm not bragging, I'm just, I'm making a point. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now I get that we don't always have the luxury of having seven hours of just sitting down and letting the word of God come flow through our mind and our heart. But I was amazed, and this is not an illustration of convenience, but I was amazed at how I felt in my spirit at the end of yesterday. There's so much negative things, so many things that are going on in our world. There's so many negative things around us, so many things that push us down and try to rob us of any joy and any victory and any glory. And and uh, I, I I I do enjoy preaching. I'm thankful for that. I enjoy the I enjoy the privilege of me preaching. Is what I'm talking about. But I also understand the need for me to get preaching, and so I need to put something back in. And I'm going to tell you that the first defense against sin in our own life is what we allow into our mind. Now, you may think I'm fixing to get antiquated and whatever for just a few moments, but I'm going to tell you that you can't hear this enough. I can't hear it enough. I can't say it enough. But this is why we must be very, so very careful about what we allow in our mind. You can't unsee anything, unhear anything. There are just some things I just don't want that in my mind. I just don't want that in my head. I don't want that in my heart. I don't want that in my spirit. Amen. 
Amen. You know, even the even the, the, the few programs that go to the trouble to try to bleep some things out, if they say bleep, you already know what they said. So it's already there. Was the word bleep too strong for some of you? It's there. It's there and you can't unhear that. I just don't want to dine on all of that. Amen. I just, you, we can't, we live in the world, I get it. We live in the world. We, you can't escape everything. You can't just go live in a cave until Jesus comes. I get that we are exposed to a lot of things. I get that every now and then life presses us to the point that we have to run through a drive through somewhere. And, and I've said it many times, it's the absolute honest truth. We don't pray for God to bless it. We just hold it up and say, do what you can. We really, really do that because we understand it's the most unhealthy thing you can do. But we, this, if we, if we don't do this, we're not eating today. And so I, I'm, I'm doing this, but I'm not going to camp out there. I'm not buying real estate. I'm not renting a booth. Amen. I can't, I can't go there. Praise God. Let's stand. That'll make everybody sure enough feel better. Praise the Lord. Just threatening to be almost done. That doesn't help. That doesn't do a thing in the world. Amen. So we got to guard our heart and guard our mind against the things of this world. You know, there's a song, a line in the song that talks about the things of this world grow strangely dim in light, somebody help me, of his glory and grace. Am I right somewhere along there? The things of this world grow strangely dim the closer I get to him in the light of his power. Amen. I'm going to tell you that we have an enemy that desires to destroy us, but we have a God that desires to preserve us. Praise God. Praise God. And so here's the most encouraging thing that I could leave you with this evening, and that is I've already mentioned 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. There is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. But God is faithful. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer... You to be tempted above that you're able, but with with the temptation, make a way to escape so that you'll be able to bear it. Sometimes we foolish venture out away from, too far away from the shore and the grace of God covers us. And and, um, and I'm thankful for that, but I don't want to push grace, the limit of grace. Amen. I don't want to push the limit of grace. I don't want to touch something just because my world didn't blow apart in an instant. I don't want to think that Everything's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. Amen. It just depends on on where you are, I suppose. And as I said a moment ago, we, we may not be able to help what thoughts cross our mind, but we can help what we dwell on. And so I, I, I don't I don't wanna even if I get ensnared in something, I don't want to stay there. I don't want to stay there. Amen. I don't want to stay there. There's a big world out there and, and the enemy desires to deceive us and to destroy us. And it is the grace of God and his grace alone that will turn us and rescue us and hold us. Amen. There's a song that we sing from time to time around here and I... I I just love it. This song says, cover me, cover me. And if there's ever a day, a moment, 
that we need the grace of God and the power of God to cover us. It is now. Amen. I want to put everything that I can into my heart and my mind that's right. Amen. I want to put in everything that I can that's right. May the Lord bless you tonight. Let's pray and ask God to touch his word to our heart. Lord, I love you. I love you so much. God, I, I hope I've done an adequate job this evening. I hope and pray that that your word has found a target in our heart, including mine. And I'm asking you today, God, to let the spirit of the Holy Ghost strengthen us. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.